You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Who's ready? Come on. In Luke chapter 24, this is the road to Emmaus. You have two men. These are disciples of Jesus, not the 12, but uh, two other disciples that have been following Jesus. Jesus has died. Three days have gone by. They're walking away from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus, about seven miles away. And they're walking, and then a man appears. It's Jesus. They don't know that it's Jesus. And he's like, what's up? What are you guys talking about? And they start to explain to him, kind of sarcastically, like, have you not heard? Are you the only person that hasn't seen or heard what happened in Jerusalem? And so you, you have, and then they're walking, just having this dialogue. And then I'm going to pick up in verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. The men are talking to who they don't, a man who they don't know is Jesus. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. But some, of, but some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but to him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, Jesus is speaking to them, they don't know it's Jesus, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, all throughout the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus starts explaining everything from the Old Testament that was pointing towards him. So they drew near to a village where they were going. Jesus was acting that as if he was going to go a little bit further. But they urged him. They're like, come with us. It's getting late. Come stay with us. It's almost evening, and the day is now far spent. So they go inside. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sights and then they turned towards each other. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Mercy culture, I came to tell you that your faith will increase as you come to the table. The title of this message is Receiving Dunamis Through Communion. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, I thank you that Jesus is always the point of attention. He, the, the Holy Spirit wants to give you guys a revelation of Jesus tonight, in the same way these men on the road, he wants to open your eyes and give you a fresh revelation of Jesus. So just yield to that. Lord, we say that the Holy Spirit, we say that you are the only spirit that is welcome. Spirit of sickness, spirit of infirmity, spirit of suicide, spirit of distraction, you have to bow. Lord, we say speak. God, I yield to you. I yield my thoughts to you. I yield this message to you. Would you speak, God? No one came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Amen. Your servants are listening. 
You guys are listening. All right, so here's our plan. I got to give you the, the Lord kept, as I was preparing for this, communion is a big topic. And I felt like the Lord throughout this entire process kept saying, pay attention to the table. And so I, I'm keeping that in mind. We're going to go through what communion is. And, and so I'm going to give you five points today. It's communion is, and then we'll fill in the blank, okay? But as we do that, the table, what the table is referring to is the Last Supper. So you have the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and basically three accounts of similar stories from three different viewpoints. And all of those accounts of the Last Table are very brief and basically more instructive, like here's how you do it. Take this cup. Do it in remembrance of, you know, it gives you the logistics of like what to say. But in John, it's different. John gives a detailed account for five chapters. And this is important. Think of, just think of the situation here. So Jesus is with his disciples. He's at the table willingly. He desires to be at this place. He's sitting with the one that's going to betray him. He's sitting with someone that's going to deny him. And he's at the table. And this is his final account He's going to walk out from this place, walk across a valley to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will be arrested and go to die on a cross for us. And so these are the words. Like, what if you knew you were, you were not going to be here tomorrow? What would you do tonight with your family? What would you tell your kids? What would you tell your, your wife, your husband? It looks different. This is the weight of the situation. So the things that Jesus says in John chapter 13 through 17 is just you could spend the rest of your life in it. This is the table. And so as we go through the five points, we're going to remember the table. That's what the Lord has said to do. And we'll talk about some things that Jesus has talked about. Are we good? Are you guys on board? Are you coming with me? Okay, so what is communion? Commun the definition of communion is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. Like, what is, why do we do this? Many of us have grown up in lots of different backgrounds. We, uh, this could look a lot of different ways. For me, it looked like a silver tray and white gloves that would pass, pass across. And I, as a child, am trying to locate the piece of bread that is the biggest and the cup of grape juice that I love that is the fullest. For some of you, it looked like a chalice that you shared and you walked up and someone fed you a piece of bread. It looks like a lot of different things. But this meal, the, you have the, the bread, the body, and it represents Jesus. It represents his body broken for us. We say these things, they're common words. I, don't, I, I feel like the Lord just wants to give us a fresh revelation. And even in this, it's like as I'm getting into this, it's just skimming the surface. The invitation today, today would be a success for me if you walk away from here fascinated with this. You could spend the rest of your life getting into the, the subject of communion, discerning what the broken body of Jesus means, the blood of Jesus, which represents the new covenant. What does this mean? How do I apply this to my life? How do I understand it? How do I understand the weight of it? For the rest of our lives, we can be looking at this, and we'll never get to the end of it. So this is an invitation into it. There's lots of different names for this. It's communion. For me, it was the Lord's Supper. Uh, it could be uh, the Eucharist, 
lots of different things, but 1 Corinthians 10, 16, which is going to bring us to our first point, says the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Communion, this is point number one, communion is partnership with Jesus. It's literal participation with Jesus and what he did for us. The Greek word here for partnership or participation is koinonia. And this word means partnership, literal partnership, literal participation, social intercourse, benefaction. We become the benefactors of everything that Jesus purchased. And the work is done. It, it is finished. He sat down at the right hand of God. And we become the benefactors of everything that is available through the work of the cross. We're not all, we're, you may not be walking in that reality right now, but it's all there. And I believe for the rest of our lives, we walk in a deeper revelation and we get access to more as you discern what this meal means, the body and the blood. There's a reason that he's telling us to do this. This is called a sacrament or an ordinance. I know those are fancy words. Don't let it scare you. My definition of this in my simple mind would be when God takes a very important topic and he connects an object to, he, he, he connects an object and an action to an idea or a concept. So you see this like with baptism. Like there's not something special about the water, but it's the act of interacting as we, as we go under the water and we come up. We, we die, we come up with, with new life. It's the same thing with communion. I went to Texas Tech University, the most prestigious, best university on the face of the planet. I don't know why you guys are laughing. That's not a joke. I believe that with all of my heart. But I don't, if I can just be honest with you guys, I was a business major, and I don't remember anything about college. I just don't. I got good grades, but I don't remember college. Like, I, I remember my friends, but I don't remember, like, what I learned except for one class, my last semester at Texas Tech, I, I was very strategic. Strategy is high on my, my list of the things with that test, whatever that is. But I was very strategic. So for my last semester, I saved up all of my electives. And so my last semester, I had all electives in one business class. I'm not kidding. My classes were walking. Walking. I, you heard it right. I had a, a walking class. Walking, tennis golf, outdoor adventure activities, and then I had my one business class. It was the greatest semester of my life. In this business class, our professor would take us and split us up into small groups, and periodically throughout the semester, we would have to teach the class. And so I, I remember specifically the things that I would teach out of a book called Blue Ocean Strategy and, like, the, the content that I would present Nothing else I remember about Texas Tech except for that class. There's something about not just receiving, but also communicating it, processing it in your brain. And so a sacrament in God's infinite wisdom is he takes a very important topic and he sets this up. This is a meal that we partake in and we engage our senses. We taste it. We touch it. We see it. We think about the body. We think about the blood. And we're called to do it often for the rest of our lives. There's something profound to this, and there's, there's, there's a growth in your faith that will happen as you partake in this meal. 
Remember the table. Remember we're gonna insert the table? So point number one is communion is the place we partner with Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, he gives a, a, an analogy that's amazing. He says, he, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches and you are to abide or remain in me, okay? Part of this, as he is the vine and we are the branches and we remain, remain in him, what you're going to experience is pruning. Surprise. But this pruning comes that you may bear more fruit. And I want you to be careful to not use this term loosely. Because sometimes it's like, man, look at the fruit of the company. Look at the fruit of that guy's ministry. Look at the, you know, we think of fruit as like influence or like this, this thing that we grow in. And that's how we, we use the term loosely. But I believe that the Lord is referring to the fruit mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's literally the nature of Jesus. As we abide in Jesus and there's seasons of pruning, he wants to put his nature on you. He wants you to grow in these things. And as this happens, people get so concerned about the wrong definition of fruit, the ministry, the prophetic word, making that thing happen, pushing or pulling so I can experience this increase. But it's not even, it's a, the narrative's about you and you stall out, things don't happen, you get frustrated. But what, what God is saying is if, if we will abide in Jesus, he's gonna bear his character and his nature in you. And then as soon as that happens, the Lord will start to steward his purposes towards you. And it's, a, it's an absolute place of trust. Do you trust him? Do you think that you have to grab on and push and pull and make it happen, or do you trust that he's going to do it? Communion is the place we partner with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Because there is one bread, we're moving into point number two here. Woo. Got to put your toe in the water before you dive in there. That's a little, it's hot. It's good, though. <clears throat> Um, it's the double insulation, you know. Emmanuel Coda made this special uh, concoction. He like crushed up, I saw him in there, he crushed up a cough drop and put it in this water and dissolved it and then put some sort of tea in it special. Thank you. I'm sorry, yes, let's give Emmanuel a hand. First Corinthians 10, 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Communion, this is our second point, communion is unity in the body of Christ. Psalms 133 talks about how good and how pleasing it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Where there is unity, the Lord commands his blessing. When there's unity presence, the Lord commands his blessing. And I feel that this is for the Big C Church. This is a point of unity. There's lots of disagreements. There's different denominations, all the things. But one thing that I could say that we have in common is this. It might look different. The expression might be different. But we can agree on Jesus. We can agree on this body and this blood. And where there is unity... God commands his blessing. It also says that his, his um, anointing pours out. It talks about on the, the, anoint, the oil pouring out on the beard of Aaron. It's, it's the anointing of God pours out where there's unity. His favor pours out. There's unity in this cup. Remembering the table. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is John 17. 
So this is, remember, John 13 through John 17 is this discourse. Some people call it the farewell discourse of Jesus talking to his disciples, telling them all these different things. In the last chapter is John 17. So, so Jesus is at the table and he prays. So it's, it's a picture of Jesus praying directly to God. Everybody in attendance at this meal are all just watching him. The thing that he prays, he prays for his disciples first, and then he prays for us, future believers. And the heartbeat of what he's saying is unity. Jesus, out of everything that he could have said, he could have said, God, I pray that they would touch the sick and that they would be healed. I pray that they would all speak. Into all the things that he could have said, and he prays for unity. Because the concept of unity does not change. It's the way God set it up. His blessing is commanded. But he makes this statement that was profound to me as I was reading this. It says, Jesus, in the middle of this prayer, his desire for the body of Christ to be unified, he says, so that the world may believe that, what, that you have sent me. Our unity, the way we function in unity, is the way that people see Jesus. The way we function in unity here at Mercy Culture, which is beautiful, is the, is the way the world on the outside, when they walk through these doors, they're like, whoa, I see Jesus because of this unity. And take it out, the churches in Fort Worth, the churches in DFW Metroplex. Why do you think the enemy is after, his, his strategy is always offense. He wants to get you mad at each other. He wants you to, to, to butt heads. He wants you to leave and go somewhere else. Because when there's disunity, when there's the opposite of this, it's like the world looks on to that, that kind of dysfunction. They're like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, that's messed up. They can go do their little thing over there. That's dysfunctional. I'm going to go do my thing over here. But unity, how good and how pleasing it is when brethren dwell together in unity. This cup represents unity. Communion is unity in the body of Christ. Point number three, communion is God's idea. It was God's idea. It's always been his idea since the beginning of time. So you see Jesus at the Last Supper. He institutes communion. He basically shows his disciples logistically. You see it in Matthew 26. Um, he shows them what to do and how to do it. What this means, take this, take this bread. It represents my body. Take this cup. It represents the blood of the new covenant. And do this thing often. We see this earlier. I love this passage of scripture. You have Jesus in the synagogue in John 6, 48. And he just kind of comes on the scene and makes some bold statements that ruffle some feathers. First thing he says is, I am the bread of life. He refers to the manna spoken about in the Old Testament. Um, that bread that comes from heaven, people eat it, but they still don't get full and they die. But when people eat of this bread, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then pick up in, in verse 52, this is where uh, Jesus just makes the alarming statement, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. In the Old Testament, there's these ordinances specifically about blood. You don't partake of blood. So he's saying, hey, I'm the, I'm the bread of heaven. It's not like the old bread. People can eat of me and they can have life and eat my flesh and drink my blood. Disciples, lots of his disciples leave. And then the ones that remain, he looks at them and says, are you guys going to leave too? 
In, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 16, you have the story of the manna that comes down from heaven. So God's, um, God's people have gone across the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness, and God comes as the provider, and he provides this substance that Jesus was speaking about called manna. It's, it gives a little bit of description. It's a flaky substance. I imagine that it's a, a uh, chocolate-filled croissant that shows up every day on the ground, and then God instructs Moses to instruct the people, go and take as much as you want. You can have absolutely as much as you want. Have your fill, but you can't go and take it for tomorrow. So what does everybody try to do? They try to take it, store it. People, it's, it's not as easy as you think sometimes to trust God on a daily basis. People go and try to, try to take it and put it away in their cupboards. And it's cupboards, cupboards, cupboards? It's a cupboard, like a, yeah. I assume that's what the pantries looked like back in this day. People go and they take it, and then it, get, it starts to stink, and worms come, and it devours it. If it's laying out on the ground, about mid-afternoon, the sun comes out, and it evaporates like dew. What does Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Who's the bread of heaven? Jesus. Give us this day our daily bread. Not give me three days of Jesus. This, this corporate encounter today might put you on fumes throughout the afternoon. It's not going to get you through tomorrow, though. There's an invitation for you to get up and partake of the bread of heaven tomorrow. And we have to have this. This is a different kind of bread. It's the bread that will give us life. But the aspect of the daily is still in effect. So get up and partake of him. The Old Testament, the manna that came from heaven, it's all been pointing back towards Jesus. Who's, who's excited for Christmas? Anybody? We're going to celebrate Jesus coming to us, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to play some Bible trivia. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Bethlehem the, the meaning of Bethlehem is the house of bread. So you have the bread of heaven that comes down and is born in the house of bread. What was Jesus born in? I always thought of the manger as like the actual barn. But the manger, if you look it up, it's actually the wooden or stone feeding trough or a food box that basically holds hay for large farm animals. Jesus, the bread of heaven, comes down, is born in the house of bread, and is basically born on a dinner plate of farm animals. Why is this? Because ever since this was God's idea, he's been presenting it since the beginning of creation, going towards God, being Jesus being this meal that's to be consumed. Even right now, I'm thinking about the fall. How did sin enter this world? Through a bite. And Jesus is the bread of heaven. He's inviting us to partake of him. And it's the resolution for, for the way that sin entered. It's so good. The blood. Yeah, you can clap for that. Go ahead. It's not me. That's for him. The blood, the system of sacrifice, just kind of in general, it's like, even preparing for this message, when Pastor Landon asked me, I love communion. I don't have a communion message. So 
I'm right here. I'm preaching to me right now. We're building this airplane in the air as we go here. I'm right with you. But like, why blood? Why sacrifice? It's, God has been pointing towards this system since the beginning of time. Where are my Prince of Egypt people at? Come on. It's one of the best cartoon animated films out there. So good. Uh, so Moses instructs the people. God instructs him, take, take the blood of an unblemished lamb, put it in a basin, get a hyssop leaf, and put it over the door, the doorpost, and death is going to pass over. Okay? I want to read the, the, the specific scripture. It says, then they shall take some of the blood, put it on two doorposts, and the lintel of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. So it specifically said, I always just think like, oh, just the door, like just take the, the little hyssop broom and just kind of put it over like this. But it specifically says the doorposts and the lintel. And when you look that up, the doorposts, when you look up the meaning of that, it's the vertical wooden beam and the lintel is the horizontal wooden beam. Does that look like something? It looks like a cross. It's the thing that the blood is going to be put on that, that's going to allow the, the Lord to pass over them. Exodus 12, 13 says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then it even says in verse 8, So the, the, the unblemished spotless lamb, which John refers to Jesus, behold, who, who does he see on the horizon when he's baptizing people in the Jordan? The, the, the spotless lamb that comes to take away the sins of the earth. He's re, it's been referred to all this time. And then in, so they, they, they're instructed to eat the flesh that night. So they put, they, the blood comes out of the, the sacrifice, goes on the doorpost, and then they're instructed to go and eat, eat the flesh. What does Jesus just tell us? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. This has been in the Old Testament the entire time. Leviticus 17.11, which coming over one book to your right, is when God actually establishes this system. And here's what he says. Why, so why the blood? For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Just repeat it with me. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Say it one more time. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. There's something significant about that statement. I've just... Every time I read it, I just feel this need to repeat it. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Think about your heart. So the average male adult has about a gallon of blood circulating through his body. The life of this flesh is in my blood. I have this thing in my chest that's just been working since the day that I was born. It's pushing my blood through, throughout my body. It's flowing. The life of my flesh is in this blood that's in my body. Think of what this means. John 56, 53. So Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you have no life in you. Unless you eat the flesh, this meal, unless we eat the flesh and drink the blood, there is no life in us. When we if you're without Christ, if you've not received Jesus as Lord of your life, there is no life in you. 
If you've received Jesus, you have life flowing through you. You can partake in this meal, in the revelation of this blood, and receive all the benefits that he has for you. The life of the flesh is in his blood. Communion was God's idea. It is God's idea. It's been his idea since the beginning of time. It's all pointing back towards him. 1 Corinthians 11.26. For as often, we're moving on to point number four. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this, this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is the proclamation of Jesus' death until he returns. Communion is the proclamation of Jesus' death until he returns. You are proclaiming Jesus when you take this meal. You proclaim it over yourself. You proclaim it over the people that are with you. You proclaim it over your family. You proclaim it over the household you're in, the city you're in, the church you're in. You make the proclamation of Jesus. You proclaim it over every spiritual principality that's been assigned to you. you when you do, he, he said, do it often. Do it in remembrance of me. And when we do this, we make the proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection to all spiritual principalities. There is power in this meal. I believe that something is happening in the church, and I don't think it's a fad or a theme, <coughs> but you see this theme of the table, communion, the body, the blood, and I believe that the Lord's doing it for a purpose. This body and this blood proclaims him until he returns. I believe his return is close. I believe there's a reason God's putting it in different houses on everybody's heart. It's, it's a theme. And Jesus will be glorified, but he is close. And I just feel something shifting. And it's like it's the spiritual climate is like shifting quickly. It's crazy to think about what it was even two years ago to what it is now. Like God is just doing something. And I just believe that there's no better way, there's no better thing or heart posture that he could find us than partaking of this often until he comes and returns. Remember the table. Jesus makes a statement, and this is important. It's important because Jesus said it's important. So in John 16, 1, Jesus makes this statement, and he says, I've told you these things that you might not fall away. The word fall away is actually offense. Like, so I'm going to talk about a few things that he said right before that statement, and we all need to hear it. But he says this in, uh, in verse John 15, verse 25. He says, they hated me without cause. It doesn't even make sense why they hate me. Like, this is what we see in our society today. With the Israeli-Palestine conflict, just crazy stuff. Like, it's crazy the amount of resistance that Jesus, that you get when people know that you represent Jesus. Like, it's mind-boggling because you think about the reality, the truth of the story and what it means and how it just offends people. People just resist it, and it's because it's the truth. Every other religion is accepted. Every other religion is okay, but the moment you say Jesus, it offends people because the truth forces you to make a decision. So in John 15, in verse 19... 
Jesus makes some pretty big statements here. He says, if you were of the world, the world would, would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I have said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They kept, this is encouragement. Some people are also going to listen to you. If they listen to him, they're also going to listen to you. You will receive persecution. You will receive resistance. And I just want to acknowledge this because I believe that a false brand of Christianity or of Jesus has existed for a long time in the body of Christ, not here at Mercy Culture, but it's just been around. And what it looks like, it, it, it says, I can have the world, I can have Jesus, and certainly persecution is not a part of it. And I just want to tell you that it's not biblical. Jesus says, a servant is not greater than the master. Like, why do we think that we get a different outcome than Jesus and the disciples? The good news is persecution comes down. Persecution is just resistance. Comes down to the society that you're in, geographically, where you located. So when Chris Donald talks about a crazy circumstance where the Lord asked him to proclaim the gospel inside a mosque in, uh, in Iraq, and he basically had to, like, drag his interpreter in there and, and do it, that persecution could have looked a little bit different than what persecution looks like here in America. And thank God for that. But sometimes we, like, excuse ourselves from representing Jesus or the gospel because it's not that type of persecution. Like, it's, it doesn't even make sense. Like, what do you want to do? Like, wait till the next mission trip where you can go and get beat by a rod somewhere? It's like we, we have to re represent Jesus here. And persecution looks completely different. It could be just a little, it could be a uh, protester showing up at one of your things holding a sign. It could be your friends, maybe they used to invite you out like they used to, but now they know what you stand for, and maybe they, you don't get the invite as often. This is a true story. It could be a coffee shop owner coming into your DMs and telling you not to come to their coffee shop because you had a conversation with a barista about the rainbow flag on their window. It's persecution. And, it's, and, and Jesus tells us, like, this is a good thing when this happens. But my question to you is, do you receive, have you received persecution? I want to be careful what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go out and look for persecution. That's foolish and stupid. Do not do that. And it's weird. You'll be a weird person. <laughs> but when you represent Jesus, the resistance will come because it tells us in verse 25 that they hated me. Jesus says they hated me without cause. There will be resistance. But if you have not received it, we're not looking for it, but I want to ask you is do you actually represent Jesus? Like is he actually Lord of your life? Like in every environment that you're in, from when you wake up and wherever you go in the morning to, to work and the things that you're involved in, do all of those people know that, that you love Jesus and that he's Lord of your life? Ask yourself the question, and I feel like there's, God wants you to represent him. Like it, it talks about it in Matthew that people are going to show up and God's going to look at them and they're going to be like, God, I, I operated in gifting. I went to mercy culture. Like I, 
I spoke in tongues. Like I saw people get healed when I prayed for them. And he's going to look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Do you, is Jesus Lord of your life? If he is, there will be resistance. The proclamation we make every time we partake in this cup, in this bread, in this meal. It's the proclamation of Jesus' death until he returns. Recap. Communion is partnership with Jesus. Communion is unity in the body of Christ. Communion is and was God's idea. Communion is the proclamation of Jesus' death until he returns. We're coming into our final point here. Is everybody okay? Sometimes I talk to people, and you can't judge people by their faces. One time I was talking, and I swear this guy, like, died and fell asleep during my sermon. But he came out to me afterwards. He was like, man, that just spoke to my heart. And I was like, all right, Lord, I'm never going to judge people by the way their faces look anytime I'm speaking ever again. If you guys are good, I'm good. Okay, here we are. 1 Corinthians 11, 29 through 32. It says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Just let that sit as I take a drink of this tea here. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned <laughs> along with the world. Lots of debate on this scripture. If I come to the table wrong, am I going to get sick? Am I going to die? Are bad things going to happen to me? Do I need to come to this table perfect? And the answer is no. Why? The goodness, it's the goodness and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Okay? In other words, his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness, it's been chasing you down before you turn, before you even experience repentance. His goodness and his kindness has chased you down. He's waiting for you. Even the parable about the, the, the sheep, the 99, and he, he went to, to get the one. He's after the one. He's willing to leave the 99 so he can go after the one. It does not mean you have to come to the table perfect, but let's look at what it does mean. Verse 31, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And then 32, it says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So the Greek word here is krino. Krino, judge can, when we say the word judge, especially in the Bible, it's like that can mean a lot of different things. We're not talking about like an eternal salvation judgment here. The word krino means to pronounce an opinion concerning right or wrong. And Paul tells us, if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So the Lord wants us to judge ourselves. He wants us to come to the table and be and, and for me to judge ourselves, it just means to be aware. Come before God. You don't have to be perfect, but you come before God 
and say, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with. This is where I'm weak. This is who I can't forgive. And you invite God in. It says where we, is, where we are weak, he is strong. And when you come to him in humility and you admit your weaknesses, he has the opportunity to, to become strong. And he wants in. How much sin is in our lives? And it's like we kind of just come in here, we put our focus on God, and we never acknowledge it as if he doesn't see it. God is asking you to come to this table and to come humbly and to invite him in to everything that you're going through. And if you're willing to have this heart posture as a son or daughter of God, if you're willing to have this heart posture, it says right here, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And then in verse 32, it says, but when we are judged, so when we don't have this heart posture and we continually come in and we just go past it, we don't acknowledge it, things are hiding, there's hidden sin in our lives. When we don't judge ourselves, and then God in his loving kindness will come in and, and it says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. And the word disciplined is the same Greek word that means to train up a child so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This verse, was, this verse just clicked with me on Friday morning. And it was profound because I've walked this verse out. Some of you have heard my wife and I's testimony. I'm not going into it today. But I have been in church. I've been partaking of this meal. I know the words. I could explain grace. I could explain the love of Jesus. And it's something, quite honestly, that I'm just anchoring myself to. Because I go to church and I want to be right with God, but I'm hidden. I have sin hiding in my life. I'm in bondage to pornography. I'm making terrible decisions in my marriage. And I come and I don't discern properly. I never have that heart of humility before the Lord. And then in 2017, God, we went from verse 31 to verse 32 in my life. God gave me so many opportunities to just submit, to bring it into the light, and I never did. But in my, in my pride and hardness of heart in 2017, the Lord allowed me to get caught. And that sent us in to chaos. I couldn't comprehend that that was the goodness and grace of God at the moment. But that year sent us into chaos. It sent my marriage into crisis. We go into a mode of just, I'm just trying to not lose my family. And it was so beautiful when I brought my, my sin into the light, how the Lord just inserted himself into our situation. As much as I wanted it to be a single altar call moment, like boom, everything's good, life is good, babe, are we good now? That's not how God did it. It entered us into a process. But I found the Lord in that process. And I can look back now and I say that it's his goodness and his grace and his kindness it's his, it's his judgment and it's his discipline that came in my life. But I just want you to know today that it doesn't have to be like that. Like it would have been so much easier if two years earlier, any point earlier, I just would have yielded myself to him. I wouldn't have had to go through what I went through. If we come to the table the way that he's asking us to come to the table, the only option is progress. 
we move forward in God. So what about the part about sickness and health and death and like if we're not properly discerning? James 1, 14 through 15 says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. So sin is described as this thing, as sin remains in the dark, it starts small and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when it's full grown, it brings forth death. So we're in a broken world. There's sickness. There's things in this world that are just of this broken world. But there's also additional things that you're putting on yourself when you're in partnership with sin, when you're in bondage, and that sin is growing. You may think you have it under control, but my question to you is this. Here's how you know. Are you progressing in God or are you progressing in your flesh? Are you moving forward in your relationship and your intimacy with Jesus or is your sin baby that's hidden in the dark just getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Because it can't be both. I could recite scripture and all the things and, and we existed in small groups and I, we did all the things right, but there was no progression in my faith. You can't not, I'm saying double negatives, but I'm just going to say it. You can't not progress when you're partaking of this meal the way that the Lord asks us to partake of this meal. This meal is the remedy. God does not want your perfection. He wants your progression. And this is the last point. Ben, I'll go ahead and invite you guys up, but this is the last point. Communion is our progression in Jesus. You progress. See, this isn't a meal that we just come to and we just pop it open, say the same words, you know, do the same things like we always do and we do it because we're supposed to do it. That's not what this is. When we come to the table in humility and we get before the Lord and we, we acknowledge our state, the repentance that you're after may not even be there, but, but you acknowledge it. And there's an invitation. You're inviting God into your weaknesses. That's humility. That's fresh yielding. That's fresh submission. And God will change you. You will start walking forward and progressing spiritually as we start partaking in this cup, in this meal, the way that God is asking us to do it. I felt like I was supposed to tell you guys today that you can change and you can be free. I said you can change and you can be free. See, there's some of you right now that don't believe that about yourself. You've been in bondage for however many years. You've been to church service after church service and you've been to the deliverance ministry. People have prayed for you and you're still in it. And I, I know what that feels like to be in your seat. But there was a specific moment where a guy looked at me and he said, Clay, I just relapsed. I'd fallen again. I'm trying to save my marriage. I'm about to lose it. And he looked at me and he said, Clay, do you know that you can be free? Like, do you really know you can be free? And my answer to that inside is like, I'm saying yes, but inside I'm like, no, I don't. But it was something about his faith partnering with mine that put me on this this progression with God. And God just so gently walked me through a process. And we never arrive. 
Okay, we never arrive. Everybody in this room is dealing with sin. I'm gonna say a shocking comment. I'm dealing with sin. How does that feel, the pastor you're receiving from? I'm dealing with sin. And the reason I say that, or let me say it another way, Pastor Landon is dealing with sin. And the reason I say it is because 1 John 1, 8 says, if you think you're without sin, you deceive yourself. Thank God my sin does not look like what it looked like prior to 2017. How many of you know when at that time, it's, it's this beautiful progression, but at that time, it's like, I'm just trying not to lose my marriage. I'm trying to not make all these bad decisions. The Lord had not yet convicted me about the Netflix series that had violence in it. That just wasn't there yet. That came later. But we're always walking forward. And the process is so he, he's, this is his way because he wants intimacy with you. All we need is just a revelation of who he is. It's his love. It's his kindness. It leads us to repentance. This meal is our invitation to come before Jesus. Jesus, think of, just think of the, the form of it. This is all in John 13 through 17. Jesus tells his disciples that he's perfectly submitted to God. I only do what I hear my father say. I'm, he, he literally is in prayer. He doesn't say anything that he's not saying. He doesn't do anything that he's not doing. And then Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going away, and it's better that I go away because the Holy Spirit's coming. And then he tells us, the Holy Spirit Jesus, the things that the Holy Spirit is going to say, it says it in John, are the things that Jesus is telling him to say. Baptism of the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus. He's the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always pointing us towards Jesus. If you're involved in anything that's spirit-led, but it's void of Jesus, you're missing it. His, the agenda is always Jesus. And this cup, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's pointing us towards this. We can do it often. And this is an invitation to just remember Jesus. It's to partake in the benefits. It's to receive what he did for us. This is the place where you consider the love of a friend that laid down his life for you. There is no greater love than a, than a friend that's willing to lay down his life. Why? Because he gave everything. So when we, we remember his body, we remember his love. And the Holy Spirit, I just believe, wants to give you a revelation of his love today. I want to go back to our opening text. So you got the two guys, they're walking. The thing that's crazy to me, first off, if I'm walking on a country road and a stranger approaches somehow out of nowhere, that's alarming. But they speak the truth and they do not believe. Listen to this. So they're, they're downcast. They're telling Jesus what has just happened. They don't know it's Jesus. But here's what they say. Moreover, starting in verse 22, moreover, some, of our, some women of our company amazed us. They were amazed by this. 
They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. They don't believe, they don't have faith yet. Jesus tells them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I, I feel like it's not because maybe some of you in this room don't believe, but we can be slow of heart. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then what does Jesus do? He starts with Moses and takes them through the prophets. And he starts to explain the word of God pointing towards the death of Jesus. Probably a lot of the same things that, that we talked about today. Then in verse 28, so they drew near to the village. Jesus acted like he's, he's gonna keep going. And they urged him, stay with us. Verse 30, when he was at the table, so they go inside, they sit down at the table. This is exactly what we see in Matthew 26 when Jesus taught his disciples. It was more of an instruction at that point. That's before the death and the resurrection. And so this account of communion is different after his resurrection. And Jesus says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it. And they gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Their eyes were open. I feel like the Lord today is going to open eyes. It's not that some of you don't believe, but it's, but he's gonna quicken something in your spirit. He's gonna give you a revelation of himself today. Their eyes were open. Jesus disappears and the two men turn towards each other and says, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? Mercy culture, I came to tell you that your faith will increase as you come to the table. Romans 12, three says that each of you in this room has a measure of faith. Say, I have faith. And some of your faith has been shaken. You've prayed the prayer over and over for the person to get better and you just haven't seen it. Maybe you've seen other people do it and it happens, but something hasn't happened. Some type of expectation has been missed and your faith is shaken. And I, I just came here to tell you today that your faith is going to increase as you come to the table. Because here's what Romans 10, 17 says. This is so cool. I feel like this is such a generic verse that I'll state, but it's like when you, when you see it, you see it. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, Jesus. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Jesus. When we process his words, just like Jesus Talk, walked through the scripture with these men on this road. Their faith was opened up. They believed he talked about everything concerning himself. Church, we have to get into the Bible. The Holy Spirit is pointing you towards this meal. When we approach Jesus, when we get in the red letters and we put on his nature, we see his kindness and his love. Hebrews says that God gave Jesus to us as a perfect, exact representation of his nature. If you have questions about God and who he is, just start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read about Jesus and see his nature, see his beauty and put it on. And this cup is the invitation. This is the revelation of who he is. This isn't about just today. This is about you partaking of this cup often, making it a part of your personal encounter, bringing it into your family. And God's gonna do amazing things and he's gonna change your life. So I wanna take communion today.
Are you guys getting? I feel like there's nothing I can say to communicate what this cup actually means. But when we take it in this proper heart posture and we come in humility and get before the Lord, and then we're fixing our attention on the broken body of Jesus and his blood that was spilled out, there's power in that. You will progress in your faith because of this. So here's what I wanna do. Before we take communion, why don't you guys just go ahead and stand to your feet. I just wanna give a moment. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not even gonna have, we're gonna have a lot of people come up, but is there anybody as we've been talking that would say, I need Jesus? It doesn't matter if it's your first time, second time, or seventh time, but you need a fresh yielding to Jesus. Would you just raise your hand? Amen. So let's all pray this prayer together. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Repeat after me. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your sacrifice. Right now, I invite you into my life. Right now, I invite you into my life. I believe that you died. I believe that you died. I believe that you are resurrected. I believe that you are resurrected. And, and I give you lordship over my life. And I give you lordship over my life. Come and take your place. Come and take your place. I bow and I yield to your lordship. In Jesus' name, can we just thank God? So many people just gave their life to Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. So we're going to take communion, and I want to invite you guys to come forward. If you just received Jesus after this service, we're going to have our altar workers. I want you to come and pray with somebody. But right now, I want to invite you, just get before the Lord as we take the elements. You can come to the altar. You can do it at your seat. But posture yourself in humility. We're going to walk through what we just talked about. Maybe there's a specific place in this room where God's done something significant in your life at a previous encounter. Just come and be before the Lord. So take a moment. You can bow, do whatever you need to do, but judge yourself. Present yourself to God. This is a fresh yielding this is fresh submission. This is the heart posture of humility that's going to progress you in your faith. In Psalms it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Pray that. Ask the Lord to search you. Now just close your eyes and start to acknowledge him and ask him to become strong in your weaknesses. I think it's important, just declare my flesh is weak, but I thank you that your spirit is willing, Lord. Tell, acknowledge your weakness and invite him into it. Ask him right now for a deeper revelation of Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. Ask him to show you the goodness and the kindness that leads towards repentance. Ask him to show you what needs to change, what needs to yield. And the question I ask to you is, are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to give it up? This is a heart posture of humility that the Lord is inviting you into for the rest of your life.
pay attention to what is happening right now inside of you. So we're going to take the bread. This bread represents Jesus' body. In Isaiah 53, it says that he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Before we receive, I just want you to put all of your attention on him and just remember what he's done. Remember his sacrifice. So Jesus, we thank you for the crown of thorns that was put on your head. God, I thank you for the blood that you spilled out, that, that came down your body as those thorns were pressed down. God, I thank you for the whips that you took, the post you were strapped to and the skin that was torn off of your body, God. God, I thank you that, that you went through beating and humiliation for us, Father. His, it says that his beard was torn out, he was punched, and his face was unrecognizable. Would you just thank him in your own words? Just start to thank him. Fix your attention on Jesus. Tune me out. Tune out everything that's happening in this service and see Jesus. See his body broken for you and begin to thank him. Begin to cry out and thank him for what he's done for you. God, I thank you that you were strapped to the cross beam and you walked to your place of crucifixion. God, I thank you for the, the nails that went through your wrist, the nails that went through your feet, the, the, the spear that was stuck in your side. He kept the wounds, church. He kept them. We're going to be able to see them someday. And when we show up, I hope that we've, we've spent a lifetime thanking him. So just thank him right now, God. We thank you for your body that was broken for us. In that scripture, it says, his chastisement brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. So right now, receive his healing. Just receive it. By his stripes you are healed. Cancer must go. By his stripes your sickness has to bow. By his stripes anxiety and fear and rejection have to go. By his stripes all strongholds and bondages are broken. By his stripes the spirit of suicide has to bow. By his stripes you are healed. Receive his peace and receive his healing as you take the bread right now. This represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. Without the blood, there is no remission of sins. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I feel like that's why it kept coming to my mind was for this moment. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. We could spend the rest of our lives trying to understand what this means and not get to the end of it. And that's the invitation. So God, we thank you for your blood. God, I thank you that your blood is our remission of sin. God, I thank you that the work is done and you set down. Scripture says that he's the mediator of the new covenants, that he stands and makes intercession for you. The enemy is pointing at you always. His, his tactic is always shame and guilt and condemnation. He's, a, he's the accuser of the brethren, and he's pointing at you. But Jesus is the mediator of the new covenants. And God looks at you and he sees the purity and the righteousness of Jesus, even in your sin, past, present, and future. You are covered by his blood. So just thank him. God, we declare that this blood is the highest authority over our minds. 
This blood is the highest authority over our eyes. This blood is the highest authority over our families. This blood is the highest authority over every marriage in this room. This blood is the highest authority over every family. God, this blood is the highest authority over the city of Fort Worth, Dallas, Waco, the Metroplex, Texas, the United States. Your blood is the highest authority. When you're ready, let's just take the cup. The way we're going to close this service is I just want us to honor our king. This meal represents the most costly thing. A man that laid down his life that he might have intimacy with you. And so I just want to invite you in these moments to just engage in what was purchased. Don't even think about receiving. Just engage in the intimacy that he purchased for you. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 